like to ask, uh, before we go any further, any loose ends or things you'd like to pick up on from the last day or two? Topics come to mind or things you'd like to explore? I read that Bhujanga Sutra, Buddha said to the Kashyavadeva when he is very ill. Uh-huh. So can you please explain how that seven factors can apply to a patient when, when someone is very ill? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How can Bhujanga, the seven factors, apply to a yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think he, because he, he already had them. So as a Buddha, the other ones in that sutta, the Arahants, also have the seven factors of enlightenment in life and in good working order. So then they, you know, you see, your mind can be affected by physical feelings, physical sensations, sounds, sights, and so forth. Or if you have a, a strongly developed mind, you can s- refer instead to these enlightenment factors. Hmm. Doesn't get it, no? <laughs> yeah. So if like you're experiencing pain, for example, <coughs> and then Oh, it's pain. Well, it's pain. You should go to a doctor. Pain is killing me. And you bring some friend of mine. Well, let's practice uh, mindfulness with that. Then you start. Then you shift to a different frame of reference, and your mind finds some stability and peace in that. So the effect of the mind being stable, more peaceful, has an effect on the whole nervous system. When people get their sick, take them to hospital, put them in some gloomy ward, they get more sick. Put them somewhere where it's sunny and bright, they they get a bit better. People come and see them and cheer them up. It helps. Uh, bring some flowers. It, so that the these are you know the the mind can bring comforting uh, resonances into the body, even for somebody who's not an arahant. So if someone who is an arahant, they have extremely powerful. Um, uh, development of enlightenment factors that are calming, benevolent, straightening, purifying, and so you have a, it's a tonic. Mm. The body and the mind are related. Yeah. So why do people get nervous stress? Yeah. Where does that come from? It's not from bodily exertion, it's from mental problems. So you get the, the stressing becomes of, because of psychological stress. And that has an effect on your body because the, you know, the, the mental stress produces triggers off particular hormones and chemicals that have bodily effects. Yeah. So, why they teach mindfulness and these things of stress reduction is to ch- change those patterns. So, if you relieve the relieve the mind, you relieve the body. Yeah. So, if you look at that, and that's a fairly kind of acknowledged clinical factor yeah, now these are people who've got you know are not arahants so if you're an arahant you've got extremely powerful resources on on you know, in terms of mindfulness and samadhi and so forth which have a therapeutic effect that you bring to mind I don't think you're just thinking of them you've brought them to mind when you actually 
refer to that and then dwelt in it. Mm. On the virtue, the excellent there, um, going to the end, it's a bit uh, not very really clear how he talks about uh, the two fifths from the end. The virtue, what is it still? At the end, at the end of it, it says, Shatara uh, Watchpo, here because dwell contemplating the body, in the body eternally. Yeah, and the virtue, what's this point? And goes on to say about the way it should be done, but then he talks about uh, about threefold, say, I don't know. Threefold, threefold way, yeah? That's ex- internally, externally, and internally and externally. That's, Those, that's the three. The body and the feelings internally, externally. <laughs> yeah, that's internally, externally, and both internally and externally. That's three. Internally, externally, and both. So there's the three ways. Yeah? Body and feelings, because he talked previously about the body. You are contemplating the body in the body internally. Mm-hmm. And the feelings internally, externally, internally and externally. Mm-hmm. I'm referring to the whole thing. Yeah. And then it comes, then because based upon virtue, established upon virtue, develop these four establishments of mindfulness, thus, in a threefold way. A threefold way. Mm-hmm. Of the threefold way is internally, externally. And both, yeah. Right. So what do you think that means? What's an I- what's a feeling that's internal and external? Is it when you're just about to <laughs> <laughs> What's an external feeling? Huh? Experiencing external. external feeling. What's an external uh, mind state? Experiencing the mind internally, externally, and internally and externally. What's how do you what's experiencing the mind externally? Think of somebody else. Somebody else. I can see that. Internally, externally, referring to somebody else's mind, perhaps. Mm. Internally and externally, perhaps the meeting of the two, the relational sense. Mm. Internal feeling could be the feelings that arise. It's to see the word is uh, uh, ajata and bahida, which means 
Well, they translate it internally and externally. Mm-hmm. So again, mm-hmm. um, where this means um, internally, like a mental feeling internally. Perhaps it's a mental feeling based upon your own personal predicament. Mental feeling externally could be something that's more sympathetic. You're feeling sympathy with somebody else's pain. So perhaps it's like that. Um, internally and externally, you experience something in your relationship. You know, a dissonance in the relationship. So it's not exactly me and it's not exactly you. It's where the two meet, internally and externally. Perhaps it's like that. Isn't it when you are outside, if you have a touch of air, and you feel uh, the, the coolness of the mm-hmm. that can be taken as externally. Mm-hmm. And if you have samadhi, you have the internal space, mm-hmm. could it be that? Could be. What about a, a mind object, an external mind object? Would that be somebody else's aversion? Mm. So you experience mind objects internally, externally, and internally and externally. How do I experience uh, a mind object externally? How do I experience um, the mind objects, uh, basically hindrances? I don't experience hindrances externally. Is it because seeing it in somebody else? Is that it? Internally, seeing it in my, experiencing it myself? Relationally? If you don't like somebody and it came to your mind, hmm? it's something about sort of somebody transferring to you uh-huh. be very negative. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, and you're picking that up on some level. Mm-hmm. That would be external, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're picking it up on some level so that would be in, internal when you're, you're feeling that well, you're not blocking it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. could be dependent on where it arises from so if it's a uh, you know a, a, a mind object arising within your own chitta but then that would be internal and if it's arising yeah, in somebody else's well, chitta and you're experiencing it that could be external someone's negativity, then that is external. If you feel anger towards that, is it internal? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the refrain for the Satipatthana refrain, is that? Yeah. We talked yesterday about um, going blurry when we come into contact with some things which we find difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just wondered whether there's ever a a time and a place when it would be a good thing to go blurry because there is an inference that somehow we should always stay in contact at the cutting edge mm. we should never disassociate or move away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas in some um, systems or models then people feeling that it wasn't the time and the place to go into something would be seen as a good thing and you have respect for that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, I just wondered if you're using awareness to know when to uh, um, put something down and when to stay with it, 
how do you know what awareness you're trusting at that point in time? Well, yeah, I mean, if it's done with awareness, there can be uh, navigation of a suitable boundary or a suitable space to be able to uh, comprehend or facilitate something. I think I was referring to, it wasn't so much saying one should, I was referring to perhaps the particular points where I can notice sort of blurring or skipping and paying more attention there to what's actually happening. Um, Because it is the inability to, I would suggest, the inability to properly handle or manage agitation, disorientation, discomfort. Now that inability may may in fact be uh, a valid recognition of a lack of resources or it could be an unwillingness to, yeah. So that's why one needs to be fully aware of what's happening at that place and naturally the only way we will tend to grow by taking on something that causes us to stretch a little bit, you know, progressively. You don't, you know, just stay inside one's own comfort zone isn't going to bring around development. There's got to be some taking on of, you know, places where we haven't accomplished yet. So why we need to bring <coughs> resources at that at that edge, that place, you know, <coughs> you know that sense of mindfulness, uh, kindness, compassion, goodwill, <coughs> and uh, sampajanya, full awareness of what's going on and wise reflection so contemplating is is this you know and uh, probably one of the things is coming into the body the bodily sense because that acts as the um, takes you gives you some vantage point from psychological (coughs) processes from the mental interpretations of things which where it becomes overwhelming Mm, you know we get into the feelings of anxiety, you know, and then if we go into those feelings of anxiety, the thoughts, the moods, we'll able to get very much caught up in the, in the vortex of it. But if we can come into the body and feel the trembling in the stomach, say, or the fluttering in the nerves and just breathe, come down into the feet, and breathe out through the feet, it may be possible to, to stabilize at that particular place until the wave moves through. And then we find ourselves, oh, actually, I've come through that bit and a little bit more confident and uh, perhaps even some insight into what the nature of that disturbance was about mm. but it's always uh, you know that's why function of wisdom is quite quite mobile you know to keep checking out navigating is this okay can you manage this could you take a little bit more time could you widen your spaces are you strong enough perhaps you're not right just put it to one side and you know move out uh, move out of focus on that particular topic. At, at that point where you're moving in or moving out, you're evaluating whether to do one or the other. Or something is anyway, yeah. Something is. Mm. Do you trust that something? And how do you build up trust? How do you know when it's a false voice and how do you know when it's it's a true voice that it's well, that's, that's 
something you it's what you know skills of meditation are about really developing that fluid mobile wisdom to keep till you trust it you know, your access to awareness is clear it's not just access to an opinion or a view or an ideological position or but there's an access to something you really feel trust in and that will build up the more occasions you can do that in, in relatively you know safe scenarios such as watching the breath and drifting off and then coming back again and drifting off and coming back again you, you build up that that quality of knowing uh, and then th- th- it's not judgmental and it's it's spacious it's benevolent and then so that's that's your fundamental resource so if you build it up use it a lot during meditation then you've got something that's uh, you you feel some reliance on Mm. you know and you can have a few fallbacks (laughs) as well just in case keep your powder dry So, I mean, uh, you know, can always come back to, if you've got somewhere else you can go, like down into your feet or out into visual contact, you know, or tactile helps to get you grounded, touching things, get you grounded, talk to somebody that gets you grounded, walking around in nature that gets you grounded, you know. So we, we, if we get these, these psychological or mental vortexes, you want to have uh, some fairly easy, means to to come out of it you know and one of them is the sensory contact you know that physical touch that's why genuine people in distress you kind of hold them a little bit to give them something to ground into yeah uh, would you talk a little more on samatha samatha yes and uh, where you can develop it <laughs> yeah, because I, I kind of get a bit confused with the uh, samatha and equanimity. Oh, well, samatha means calming. Equanimity is uh, equanimity is is a development of samatha, calming. But, but <coughs> samatha, to put it very briefly, samatha is any skillful response any any skillful means that comes up when you investigate and you ask yourself the question how does the mind get made more stable how does it get more stable more grounded more still more settled so anything that does that inclines in that way as you call that samatha so you can use metta when you feel steady grounded uh, you can use breathing in and out if you feel steady and grounded um, you know, you could easily use mantra chanting, something that's steady, steadies your mind. Um, so that's different. Vipassana is the response to the question, what is, it, what is this dependent on? What is this supported by? What conditions bring this around? So it's an in- investigation on a different level, a different, different angle. So with Samatha, you keep that, that kind of... Uh, you're mindful of that particular question or that that inquiry, you know how to how to get how to make things steadier. Hmm? So naturally, to do that, we'll generally look at we'll generally focus on something that's steady, <laughs> such as sitting still if that feels steady, uh, rhythmic breathing 
you know, breathing that's steady and rhythmic. It's got both steady, it's, it's repetitive, but it also has, it affects us. So if it's just steady but it doesn't affect us, then we don't get any, we don't get anything out of it, you know. Right? So if it's, it's something, so it has to be something that you feel as well, so that the feeling sense is steadied. So our, our, our affective sense, instead of being with something that's steady but boring, <laughs> you know, because it's steady but you don't get any good, any feeling out of it, well that doesn't give you something, you just get bored, you just get dull. Uh, if it's, um, so it's got to be something that's, that's steady and is felt and your mind can receive it, pick it up, what's suitable, what, what, what does your mind easily attune to. So then, it, then it's a calming effect will be taken in, into the mind. Um, then generally the mind is steadied by uh, safe, uh, agreeable, soft levels of fear, not violent swings, not violent swings of emotion, but steady and uh, benevolent. You know, so you're looking for where, where, does it, where can I feel that? How does that come around? Perhaps through the general intentionality of uh, looking for one's well-being, looking to feel good, you know, and uh, something that's gentle, trustworthy, such as your own breathing in your own body. Um, so you look like that. Get the fullness of it, because the mind has to, in order to take it in, your mind has to be able to be open and full, full awareness. So if your mind is nervous, tense, pushy, or even if your mind is trying to get calm, then it will be tight. <laughs> it will be trying to get it. You can't have it trying to, you've got to get it really trusting and receptive. Mm. Then, then the qualities of the calm sensations will, will be felt and discerned. Then it's a lot of it, it like there's a certain amount of uh, trust that's required to be open. It takes a lot of trust. You know, because in a way we're taking off our, our armour, we're, we're, we're letting go of our options, so that sense of safety, trust. And then, um, you know, fe- uh, allowing yourself to feel happy, pleased, happy, which sometimes people feel uneasy about, strangely enough. Uh, the loss of control. That's what that's what's the difficult bit losing, losing the controlling mind, relaxing, letting go of the controlling mind. But you need to do that in order to feel happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's the difficulty because sometimes we, we need the controlling mind seemingly to get the hindrances away. So you've got to do this fine tuning as to controlling it enough to get the hindrances away and then but the moment they're away just to be able to relax and open up and enjoy and they come back then you bring up a bit more wait a minute okay stop check put that away and then i oh know it's okay and i just feel that so it's not it's not a sudden it's it's often a, a uh, like a graduated quality you don't unless well you, most people wouldn't just immediately plunge into into deep calm, but you 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 find your way there through that process of wisdom, discernment, assessment. Mm. 
So then you get the quality of happy happiness, or bene- good feeling, and uh, the nature of feeling is it's, it's global. It tends to suffuse suffuse the body, and then it can be uh, destabilizing because it gets a little bit too fizzy. You know, like vertiginous. People have to go spaced out. So (laughs) then you you start to incline towards where is it still? Where is it steady? Steady, steady. So where do I pick that up? That sense of groundedness. It may be coming back into the body, as I was saying yesterday. The the quality, like like a massage, where you're (coughs) you're carefully needing or or, mo- or or massaging the quality of feeling into the into the tissues of the body so you can keep it connected so you don't space out and then then the, then it will become more still and that stillness the stillness then is something that your mind f- eventually favors more than the happiness because it's deeper it's more restful so even at the point of equanimity even pleasantness is a bit of a disturbance because it's moving and you tend to favour more the, uh, the the still evenness of mind that's that's how it goes yeah. um, just an uh, attempt to answer the question about being internally internally and externally mm-hmm. I caught my attention. Yeah, yeah, we were chewing it over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it seems to me that the, the, the whole point is to dissolve the um, sense of separateness and self-location uh-huh. in that way. So mm-hmm. in, in one sense, it's it confusing. It's a confusing instruction because ultimately there isn't an internal. Mm-hmm. But in the reflection on that, because um, it's, it's simpler in terms of uh, um, the first frame of reference, because you can have a feeling inside the body and then you can have a feeling yeah. outside mm, the body. Mm. But um, from a calm point of view, from a less fixed point of view, then. Um, that inside and outside becomes more blurred and the calmer one gets the less and less difference there is between inside and outside um, and I've always found it fascinating that the way that the teaching is kind of structured in these simple groups of threes and fours sevens and um, you were talking about the massage mm. Mm. bath powder mm. the image mm. of dye needing mm. uh, which kind of unifies the internal sense of the, the body reference mm. yeah so I think that was, that was my Mm. Yeah, it's a way to start to blend. Mm-hmm. Put the sense of self in a blender. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, with this Satipatthana refrain, it, it may not be referring to um, uh, states of meditation. It could be referring to walking around and, you know, sensing or f- being witnessing a whole lot of anger. <laughs> you know, that's these people are really upset and angry, and you know, seeing that and okay, how am I with that? Yeah. Or it could be somebody's angry with me, which means that suddenly it becomes much more not just external, but external and internal. I'm experiencing my sense of fear or counterattack, you know. Or it could be something purely I'm sitting there thinking about something that's getting me angry. So it, it could be a, a, like not exactly a, a meditate, meditative state, but just the daily life experience, you know, where, where these apparent internal and external have a lot more validity to them, you know, more, more clearly sensed. I don't know whether I've missed this completely, but <laughs> on, on the, the, the first thing, it's, it says, um, here because the noble disciple is mindful, possessing supreme mindfulness and discretion, one who remembers and recollects what was done and said long ago. Um, initially, over the first day or so, I thought, yes, I've, I've, I've got this, I can really work with this, because if I can develop if I can develop mindfulness of breathing and mindfulness of the body, then that would seem to say to me that, that, that then on a day-to-day living basis, I would then become more mindful of what I've been doing and this remembering what had happened long ago or it would then it would then mean that I would be more aware of what I was of what I was doing, so that I could make sure that that was more more skillful. And then, if something came up, I would then be able to say, "Well, I've been mindful, so I know the cause of that." But then, later on, when we moved on, you you said the the foundations of mindfulness that wasn't really. The foundations. It was. It then seems to be that it was something in itself that you that you did in meditation. Where I was rather hoping that <laughs> that I got some sort of practical practice that I could do in in, mm-hmm. in, in everyday life. That's the idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the everyday life, you establish your mindfulness upon your work. You might be mindful of your duties, you might be mindful of your other commitments. You bear these things in mind. You know, I've got a lot to do, but oh, I've got to pick my daughter up from school, right? Which is more important, that one, okay, put. So I bear these things in mind, you know, so that you, you might be holding, bearing quite a bit in mind when you're mindful. So it doesn't, it's not quite constant, not samadhi, because it could be, you know, like a number of frames of reference are being potentially held not just one. You could be mindful of keeping <coughs> the five precepts, you could be mindful of I'm driving my car, I've got to get to where I've got to go. Um, you, you, you're bearing those things in mind. Mm? Yeah. I think what I'm trying to, to grasp is the, 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 the four foundations of mindfulness. That would seem that, that, that they're not an end in themselves. All they are is is a, a training to be mindful yeah. day to day. Yeah. Is that it? Is that oh, like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a training. They're, the Buddha's giving a recommendation 
of establishing mindfulness, body, feeling, uh, mind and, and mental states, uh, states which are pertinent to realization or non-realization. You know. So it says th- this is what you should be bearing in mind. Because of the fact there are many, <coughs> many things you could be bearing in mind. You know, <laughs> you know how Arsenal are doing. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I think what he's saying is, you know, try to get down to these ba- basic stuff and, and hold these in mind because these are the ones we perhaps don't bear in mind. You know, it, it, it's, made, it, it's made a lot of sense of things for me. I, I must admit, I have to hold up now. I, I, I just could not quite grasp what walking meditation was all about. Uh, uh-huh. Quite understand what benefit to anyone feeling, feeling your foot. Mm. But now I can see that if, if it's if it's actually training my mindfulness to make me more aware and mindful on a day to day basis, yeah, then yeah. I can see yes yeah. that is mm. Yeah, sati, mindfulness and then full awareness. So you know, you say you're walking up and down, you just, Buddha actually doesn't even mention feet, he just says be mindful about walking up and down. So you're walking up and down, you might, what does that mean? You can feel the movements in your body, you feel the coolness on your face, you feel pressure in your feet, blomp, 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 stop, blomp, 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 stop, okay, well, that's hardly headline news. But being able to s- sustain a frame of reference over a whole range of bodily experiences and stay with that, you're just training your mind to be able to hold a boundary of attention, stay within that boundary, keep with it, sustain it, because normally attention flickers every which way, and then drink it in. And interesting enough, you know, if we are able to drink it in, we find there's something calming and rejuvenative about it, regenerating about just being in your own body, which of course is, is really valuable to know because a lot of the time, you know, we're getting stressed out, fried, worried, pummeled, and you need to have somewhere you can go to get some benefit. And it's right here. <laughs> you walk up and down a bit. Uh, you know, put down the phone and walk up and down for 20 minutes. Uh, so, so he's recommending it because although, you know, it's in a way it's so obvious, this body, but most of the time we're not in it. <laughs> you know, it just just there but we don't we're not really with it we're out in our conceptual world or worry world so Tanisaro retranslates these as frames of reference which is first confusing because you don't know what he's talking about because everybody else uses foundations of mindfulness but uh, it's actually quite an I- quite a uh, interesting translation because it does give you the understanding of what's happening. You know, you're referring to this particular frame of reference, this bodily sense, and what goes on in that—the sensations, the movements—and f- even though that self, the content is not so wonderful, the experience of being there with it is making your mind more pliable firm, clear, undistorted, and that, that's the benefit. And being able to, su- the strength to be able to sustain a focus over a period of time. You know, as we, we just got a steadying uh, imp- uh, effect, improves the mind. What's the Pali for the frames of reference? Uh, well, it's, s- it's, it's, a, it's the same word, sati, 
Vipassana, but he translates it as, f- as frames of reference. So I guess he's translating reference as mindfulness, uh, mindfulness as reference. Or anyway, that's his thing. <laughs> So he translates sat- the four satipatthanas, the four frames of reference, which I don't think it's a verbal translation, it's more trying to bring across the nature of the experience, the, the, the practice. Yeah? Um, you mentioned that uh, you could cultivate um, positive, wholesome uh, sankaras by conceptualizing mm. some of the patients. Yeah. Could you say a bit more about how that? Um, well, uh, yeah, okay, so, yeah, these words mean something, so when you you introduce one and you ponder it, then you get the meaning of it, what does patience mean, and so the, the meaning comes into your chitta, into your heart, then you sense, oh, this is actually uh, beneficial, it's calming, it's steadying, it's a ri- so then you, you develop it. Mm. Say we're, we're in a hurry, we, you, you know, you're going down the street, uh, you want to get to the library, there's people walking in front of you with their shopping trolleys, getting in the way, there's somebody who's standing with his dog, that gets a lamppost, why do they have to do it right here, right now, I'm trying to get to the library? Why do people just wind me up all the time? And stupid people getting in my way. <laughs> Patience. <laughs> you put that there. All oh, right. Oh, okay. This is about developing patience, not about getting to the library. <laughs> What's going to do me more good in the long run? Getting to the, getting to the library or developing patience. Mm-hmm. So you start to translate your, your daily life experiences where they're fairly kind of mundane you know significance into something that's got that is a trait is developing your mind in these particular ways go to the supermarket with the word renunciation in your mind (laughs) 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 see so it helps to cut down your shopping bills (laughs) and once you have that in your mind then you sort of see how incredibly grabbing everything is like tentacles coming out of the shelves the heading for your purse you know and this is because i you know because i don't have any money i can really witness the because i can't do anything about it you can feel the pull everything is there to pull pull get you going and this was really unpleasant actually to be so sort of stimulated so pulled by things you know just you know alone so renunciation is a good one trick when you go to the try to decide what you want to buy before you go to the shop and then just buy that and if you saw something else you really liked go outside the shop and wait five minutes (laughs) (laughs) then then go if you really still feel you want it then go back and get it but use five minutes just to come out of the trance of how wonderful it is okay yeah no yeah so what (laughs) <laughs> and it gives us things to develop so we are, we are, so many things can be happening in, in the mind in terms of uh, input, ideas, 
you know, pieces of information, images, things coming from magazines and so forth, conversations, this kind of snow snowstorm of data in the mind. How, and then we're looking for a, a direction in our lives, where, where are we going? And we can very much be directed just by this random blur of things going on in the mind. So it's good to have a, a leader says, okay, you know, what we're doing is we're moving towards patience or simplicity or virtue or kindness, you know, put, put a, a leader in the pack <laughs> of all those things and that will, okay, you, and all your mental stuff, you know, comes behind that. It's like having a herd, a herd of sheep that are running all over the place and you get one dog who rounds them up and goes, we're going this way. <laughs> so you want to have a few of those, like, you know, virtue, non-harming, uh, generosity, kindness, patience. And so they, they keep your pack, yeah. keep your flock of sheep in good shape. Mm. Yes? Um, um, we were talking about developing a state, let's say patience, and um, that can seem easy if the person has a reference and know what patience could be. Yeah, yeah. What if the person doesn't have a reference mm. and needs to start from nowhere? Not from nowhere. <laughs> uh, they have to learn it off someone else. <laughs> and how do you teach them? Uh, you model it. So you have children. Children don't know the word patience, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't come with the, with the kit, as it were, with the birth kit. You could, uh, so it's like... Uh, you know, uh, yes dear, yes dear, well let's just take our time with this, yes, yes, but let's just really enjoy it by taking it a bit more slowly, and yeah, right, yeah, but right now I've got, just got to do this for this moment, you know, and, and it's kind of, you've got to, people need training in that, and as they see that, you know, children are generally sensitive to, to your own energies, so if you're coming out with some calm, steady energies, warm, and yet you're saying this is about being patient, they'll, they'll get a more positive uh, uh, take on that, rather than patience isn't about sitting there waiting, wasting my time, because <laughs> you know, it's about feeling all the time in the world, you know, when the time boundary is dissolved. So people have to be trained in this and, and modelled and, s- and see that it's beneficial. Generosity. Sometimes kids need to learn how to, you know, eating all the biscuits myself is nice, but also giving some to my sister is good too. <laughs> With all that training, I think the the snag is it, it's not coming across as a thou shalt, you know, but trying to train a personal internally that is to get the feeling of it themselves rather than just be told to be it you know then it doesn't really work person tends to rebel against it because it's seen as just an, in, an external agency that's that's kind of controlling you rather than internal quality that you can engender and feel benefit from you know the theme is that all these make you feel better in the long run yeah. Imagine that there was something said, I think it was day one, that uh, stayed with me, and that was Sabachita. 
<coughs> I think it said that um, chitta is that which transmigrates. Mm. And it got me thinking and wondering what, what that meant. Mm. I think two questions. One was, does that mean that it carries karma? Mm. And in that case, does that mean there's some sort of fatalism involved that we're going to have to deal with something? Mm. <laughs> but when I was thinking about asking the question, I wondered, is this actually a fruitful line of inquiry? Mm. Does it lead to... Nibbana. Or is it just interesting? It's mm, just, mm. My mind is always to play with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Um, it's not really that karma doesn't exactly. Karma means action. So um, action leads to results. Vipaka. So the results tend to, when we act in certain ways, they, the results that start to form and model our responses. Yeah, so we act in certain ways. Those that become, they become the, the models of how we're going to keep acting based upon previous action. That's called vipaka. Yeah. And um, the way we act gives rise to... Um, or results in particular uh, mind states and feelings. So if we act in cruel ways, we tend to end up with a mind that's harsh and uh, negative, and ge- not generous. So that's fairly obvious, isn't it? Karma with Parker. Now you wonder, well, how, how, does, what's the, what's, how does that happen? What is it that is here now and continues into the future? How does that happen? <laughs> So this is where the model I present is a sankara, which are um, energetic formations, um, co- which which can be which get coded by our actions. So so sankara are associated with either skillful or unskillful sankara, which could be. Um, like, like you know, if you looked at it physically, it'd be like genetics, genetic codes. So now, you know, in some ways, you are the rebirth of your father and mother. You carry their genes, you know. So in some ways, you're carrying that. Phys- that's the physical side of it. On the psychological side of it, you have not genes and genetics, but sankara and tendencies, proclivities, which get established. The uh, difference is that we are our own parents, <laughs> you could say, you know, or we do inherit uh, the vipaka of being in this particular society, in this particular time, so we inherit that, and then we can be, our responses can be modelled by that. You know, if, if you know, in a society which does not understand the concept of non-violence, it's more likely you're going to be a violent person. You know, if it doesn't have a society where generosity or trust is not available, it's not likely that that will be highly developed in you. So in some ways you receive the vipaka of where you are, where your, your external circumstances, uh, and then, but then you, you still have the possibility of acting or not acting. That acting or not acting will, will, will generate, has, has an effect on, which, on what, how you're going to be 
how you're gradually modeling or molding yourself in the future. So this means that we have the capacity to change. You know, you can be a violent person and gradually over patience and time become someone who, who's seen through that. You can be, have a substance addiction and come out of it. You, you can change that. How is that possible? How is it possible? Mind is obviously, these are not physical, these are psychological. Mind is obviously something that's very, very fluid. And, and its waves or its fluid patterns will continue. So, you know, the, to me the easiest model is of things like magnetic fields or wave forms in the sea. So a wave comes up and it travels. Actually, the wave doesn't travel at all. But the dynamics that get it going keep going, keep creating more waves. Mm. So that's, that's the Sankara, is that energetic pattern. Yeah? And rather like a, magnet, a magnetic force, when, you, when, you, when your Sankaras are active, you tend to shape your, your attitudes, your views, your perceptions, even your friendships get shaped by those Sankaras. You like putting iron filings in the field, you know, suddenly here I am again, in that sort of thing. So that, that creates that seeming tenacity of, of a permanent self because it's, it's held by those energetic forces. And yet that permanent self tends to be dynamic, and fl- it's never stable, but it's going the same direction, same proclivities, rather like a magnetic current or a waveform. So I mean this is possible to hold as a hypothesis and examine particularly when you meditate more and you just see how how fluid it all is, how boundaryless it all is, but what strong tendencies there are that we all recognize are my tendencies, even though there may not be a self, there's certainly a, some strong tendencies that are repeated there that are recognizable. So these are forces and energies. Mm. Now the question then comes, what happens when you, the body passes away and the body dies? Well, this of course... Um, I suggest that none of us know <laughs> directly from the internal experience. If you have a recollection of a previous life, uh, then you would be able to speak with some authority. If you don't, you don't know. You don't know, but you don't know there wasn't either. <laughs> you can't say there was, you can't say there wasn't. But if there, if there is no future life, then we would also consider that this was our first birth. Yeah. So we didn't, we weren't we didn't have a previous life. So if you had never previous life, this is our first birth. How come you're so peculiar, you you? <laughs> to do all that, just you started off with a blank slate and all this got conditioned in this life, or is it possible that some tendencies, on an energetic level, transmitted? Um, so this gets then really, you know, we can look at some interesting hypothetical models. I think of emails as being the model. I mean, uh, to me, e- if you believe in emails, you can believe in rebirth. <laughs> 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 I can't see how, those, how I can write something down in a little box and somebody in Germany gets it a second later. It doesn't, I don't get that at all. I don't believe it. <laughs> rebirth is easy after that one. So, because we don't have the, you know, the, the apparent technology, we, th- we say, well, it doesn't happen, because we just don't know. But I think if you did have the technology, I think the Buddha had the technology in his own 
awareness to, to pick that up, what was happening. Well, I don't, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen because I don't see it. So I think it's a, a useful enough um, paradigm. Is it useful? As you know, as you rightly say, is this just interesting intellectual inquiry or is it useful? Um, there's a sutta in the middle length discourses with the Buddha, in fact, takes that very point. It calls it the incontrovertible teaching. So he says, well, you know, if there's no such thing as rebirth, then do good, because you do good, you get good results in this life. <laughs> and if there is a rebirth, then you get good results in a future life. Uh, if there is no future birth, then doing bad, you can have a miserable time in this life, uh, you know, or you'll experience uh, miserable mind states in this life. And if there is a rebirth, you can have a miserable time next time around. So whether there is or isn't, basically do good and don't do bad is the, is the, is the ethical tendency, uh, ethical instruction. But then it does, as a more meditative, reflective, it helps us again to put a question mark on this sense of I am a something fixed and finite, it's got definite boundaries, you know, it's always in this body and, you know, it's me and it's male and it's, you know, this kind of stuff, boundaried, uh, which gets very uh, self-obsessive, you know. When one recognizes a lot of one's energies, moods, feelings and thoughts are transmitted, shared, blended, um, you know, the self, self-skin isn't so impermeable as we make it out. And then we have that possibility to really realize that there can be profound changes in this, you know. If we take this as really fixed and finite, then <coughs> it does shut down the possibilities for change and development. Yeah. Hello? I was interested to have um, the first part of what we were talking about, that the fact that, um, that we are our parents um, and so fits in with um, the um, term of terms of conditioned and unconditioned. In, in, what were you, you saying? How does that fit into that sort of scenario? Well, the the conditioned is in it can be inherited and transmitted, <coughs> and uh, you know the conditioned conditioned elements can be inherited, uh, transmitted, uh, catalyzed. The unconditioned can't. So we're talking about cultivating things that are unconditioned. No, no, cultivating conditions. That, that lead to the unconditioned. You can't cultivate the unconditioned. You can cultivate the path to it. Because it's unconditioned, it can't be conditioned, so you can't do anything about it. <laughs> the unconditioned is where, where, the, where the, all our conditioned elements are resolved, completed, and, and go to rest. Yeah. So are these things, if it's stuff that we've inherited mm. um, like from our parents and from socialisation, from school, mm. college, university, whatever, 
um, it's, a, it's, it's a hard job, <laughs> it's a big job. <laughs> well, you just, yeah, um, but you don't have to keep going there, that's the point. That's just Vipaka, you know, that's the inheritance. But you don't have to keep going there. So karma is the, is the action. That's the important bit. Vipaka is acknowledgement of Vipaka, but karma is the important bit. That's what you keep going. Karma is that which you, the action of picking up the past and continuing to do it. Now that's something you can, you can have some say over. You can't change the past, but you can stop reliving it. <laughs> yeah. Through relinquishment, through dispassion, through awareness, through loving kindness, through sense restraint, through training. You know, we are, we are freeing ourselves from the past. Doesn't mean we don't have a past, but we're, we're not continually regurgitating it and reliving it. That's, that's, so that's what is it, you're putting it, the ending of birth. We're not getting born again into where we've been for the last ten years or so. <coughs> uh, gentleman there, just a minute. Yeah. Um, the question about um, mindfulness of the body, using the body as a uh, frame of reference. Um, does it matter like how much you're moving attention around like, in the body? Because sometimes I'm a bit powerful, you know, focusing on feet and the whole body, and going to different parts. Well, yeah. So you just got to uh, keep assessing the results and uh, the causes. You know, it can be just checking things out, like uh, somebody scanning the ground and checking out how things are settling. You know, but you want to have the basic uh, attitude in mind. Is there anything I'm doing I don't need to do? So you don't need to do it, don't do it. That's, <laughs> that's calming, it's called. <laughs> so it may be that things need attention. Um, maybe, the, okay, that's enough, calm. So then deepen the quality of enjoyment or receptivity. Deepen the quality of the experience rather than the, the amount of bases you touch into, just deepen your qualitative appreciation of the specifics of you know or in fact of or of, of how it's affecting your mind so if your mind is becoming brighter clearer just stay in rest in that if it's just becoming more agitated wait a minute no i think i need to just cool it down a little bit so you've got to have a sense of the, the wisdom faculty when you have a frame of reference your wisdom faculty is both around the object about around the subject and around the relationship between the two. So you're recognizing I'm holding this, it's like that, but also my hand is shaking. Okay. So you're aware of the object, you're aware of how you're holding it, and you're aware of any effect that's happening. That's full awareness, Sampajanya. Mm. So full awareness is not just mindfulness holds the thing steady, but we're not <coughs> just just holding the thing, we're also full awareness means you, you widen and, and your your receptivity to the whole experience, like not just the thing, but how I'm holding it and how wh- how it's affecting me, whether it's making me calmer or or more tense. You know, so you've got to moderate the whole because you know the most important thing is the effect, really. <laughs> 
you know, not not the thing, but the effect. Certainly, as you, you know, we spend hours doing it. The meditation objects themselves are relatively simple. Uh, you know, breathing in and out, or whatever it is. So, um, most of our once you've got that, then holding that, and then a lot, lot of tension into what's my attitude with this? Am I pushing too hard? Am I faltering? You know, hindrances, and so you're really attentive to your relationship and your 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 intentions in that practice. Sounds more complex than it, than it perhaps is. You know, if you're holding a tray, of, you're, you know, you're in a restaurant, you're holding a tray of plates you know you, you do the whole thing you know you're aware of where you're walking you're aware of you're holding plates you're aware <laughs> you know, whether your arms are getting tired the awareness does it by itself it's 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 holistic and it will tend to go to where's where's the where's the important piece right now the important piece is i'm about to you know drop the plate or 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 or, or you know or, or what's in the what's in the dish they will have some relevance but you look for the Awareness is looking, where's the important bit now in this? Mm. So you have to be kind of receptive, listen in. Uh, So if the meditation object is something that's relatively easy to handle, that's one way you you, uh, decide what you're going to meditate on. It should be something that's relatively easy, so you're not continually straining to get it. Otherwise you can't, you don't have the receptivity to pick up the subtler and perhaps more important features yeah you with me yeah you've got to have enough space to be able to 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 be wise otherwise you're too too forceful let's take a break shall we just coming up to 10 continue this this afternoon i've got we can look at some of the other suttas the mindfulness suttas this afternoon an hour, an hour of walking, then come back for the last half an hour of sitting.